seated tonight. What a beautiful, beautiful presence of the Lord is in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel like God wants to do something beautiful here. I feel like God wants to speak to somebody and bless us tonight in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Amen. Before we go into the word of the Lord tonight, let me just uh, remind you that uh, tonight we're going to be having a very special uh, fundraiser at City Barbecue. Everybody say yay. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's what I like to hear. And uh, this is to raise money for our Bible quiz team. And we have some wonderful Bible quizzers who are in amen. I think they deserve a great big hand clap. And they are uh, very engaged in learning the word of the Lord and memorizing the word of the Lord. I can't think of anything better to memorize and to understand than the, the precious word of God. And so they are raising funds at the uh, city barbecue. So when you eat there, a good portion, a good percentage, I believe it's 25% of what you spend at City Barbecue will go directly to our Bible quiz teams. And that, so we certainly want to uh, encourage you to do that tonight. Amen. We're going to look into the word of the Lord this evening. And so I will begin tonight by turning your attention to the book of Genesis, the 32nd chapter. The book of Genesis, the 32nd chapter. And I'm going to be speaking tonight on this subject, wrestling with the God-man, wrestling with the God-man. And we're going to look at the passage of Scripture where a wrestling match occurred that was of such a tremendous significance uh, for the nation of Israel and uh, even for the Christian believer. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24. Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it? that thou dost ask after my name. And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Hallelujah. I would like to take note of the fact that the scripture says in the uh, earlier part of the text, that the scripture says that Jacob wrestled a man in verse 24. He wrestled a man. And that man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Uh, then in verse 30, Jacob announces 
that he has seen God face to face and his life is preserved. And so I want to talk to you about wrestling with the God man. Now, uh, let's just from the outset of this uh, message today understand uh, who this was and what this was that Jacob was up against. Uh, this term God-man is a reference to the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the God-man, uh, we're talking about one individual, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Uh, he was both God and man, 100% divine, 100% human. He was God manifest in human flesh. And so when we speak of him, we speak of the God-man. Uh, and yet, in Genesis chapter 32, the scripture refers to this individual both as man, and then Jacob says that he saw God face to face. So let's understand who this is that we're talking about before we go any further. This was not Jesus Christ. But this was some kind of a manifestation of God, manifestation of God's presence. Hosea chapter 12 says that this, was, that this was an angel. It actually says that Jacob wrestled with an angel. Uh, and yet, that word angel is broadly interpreted. It, it means messenger. messenger. So it may not necessarily refer to a seraphim, but it could refer to a messenger. For instance, when Moses spoke to the burning bush, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord spoke to him from the burning bush. But this was obviously not just a seraphim or an angel of that type because it was the Lord himself speaking and he said, I am the great I am. So God somehow, in some way, whether he dispatched an angel into human form or he allowed himself to come down into some kind of a human form. Somehow Jacob wrestled with a man who represented God. So much so that this represent God that, that Jacob said, I have seen God. And my life is preserved. But it was a man. It was very much a man. But it was a man of, of great strength and, and great power. And it was certainly a, a representation and a reflection of what Jesus does for us when we encounter him. Because when Jacob finished with the encounter with this individual, his identity was secure and his life was changed. And when you come out of your encounters with Jesus Christ, your identity will be secure and your life will be changed. Hallelujah. So Jacob is representing a lot of folks. And he's representing the way that we encounter in our lives the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this was Old Testament. This was the book of Genesis. And... And Jesus Christ was not yet born in Bethlehem, but God himself allowed some type of manifestation, some type of representation, be it an angel, 
Uh, we, the Bible says that you could entertain angels unawares, not even realize it, but angels in human form, thinking that you're talking to just another individual, but in reality, the Lord has sent an angel into your life. And, and this can very well happen. And this is what happened, something very similar to that, that Jacob experienced. And it was going to be a type and a shadow, if you please, of what would happen in the New Testament experience of encountering the real God-man, Jesus Christ. And so Jacob encounters this, this individual. Now, you have to know that this encounter came at a very peculiar time in Jacob's life. It came at a very important time in his life. Uh, you have to know that Jacob's life was one that was confusing, conflicting for him. He had regret in his past. He was unreconciled with his past. His past haunted him. Things that he had done, things that he had done to people, how he had treated people in the past, and ways that he had treated his family. You know, it's the, the reason that the past is such a haunting uh, thing to have to grapple with is because there's nothing you can do about it. And that's why you have to let it go. And it doesn't matter how bad you feel about something, you really have to release it to the Lord and let it go. You can't, you can't turn back the clock. Believe me, if we could turn back the clock, every one of us would have turned back the clock at some point or another. So the past of Jacob's life was a problem for him. It was something that he really struggled with. And he tried to kind of focus himself on work to get his past off of his mind. He tried to focus on a new life, a new path that he would walk. In fact, uh, the, the book of Hosea says that he, uh, for seven years, uh, served for a wife. And for a wife, he kept sheep. The way that Jacob, in fact, the Bible even says in the book of Hosea that he fled from Esau, but that he pursued Rachel. And I actually like the way it says it. It says Jacob fled from Esau, but Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. So the Jacob part of him was running from his past, but the Israel part of him was pursuing his destiny. Your flesh will be the thing that is constantly dwelling on all of the things you've done wrong. But the, the, the destiny, the spirit that, that God has in store for you and the promise part of you is going to focus on what God has in store. Amen. And so Jacob was, was struggling with this. Now he worked seven years for Laban and he was expecting, according to their arrangement, that he would receive Rachel as his wife, that fell through with a thud. It didn't happen the way he thought it would happen, the way Laban said it would happen. Laban said, I thought for sure within seven years we would have Leah married before Rachel, and it is important that Leah be married before Rachel. So uh, let's go on with this wedding. And he just, I guess, just kept a veil over Leah's face the whole time and said, you know, isn't she lovely? Beautiful, beautiful Rachel here. No, don't lift your veil. Don't lift your veil. Just, she's beautiful, Jacob. Don't you believe us? And so the next morning, Jacob realized that it was Leah. 
And, and so seven years more he labored and served Laban. And this time he received Rachel. So 14 years he received Rachel and Leah. And six years after that, 20 years total, he labored for Laban, served Laban. And at the end of those 20 years, Jacob was done and he was moving on. For 20 years, he had separated himself from his past. Now, before he met Laban, before he met Rachel, before he met Leah, he had a very checkered past. He was guilty of a very gross deception. And this deception involved the fact that he posed to be his brother. He dressed himself up like his brother with the help of his mother. And he prepared food as if he had gone out and hunted the food down and had killed it and had filleted it or, or, or prepared it, cleaned it and got it ready for, dressed it and got it ready for, for consumption. And then comes into Isaac's room and tells Isaac that he's Esau when he's not Esau. He takes advantage of Isaac's vulnerability, the fact that Isaac cannot see properly. He doesn't. He's not able to discern with his eyes whether he's telling the truth or not. And Jacob took full advantage and exploited Isaac in the weakness of his elderly years. And he cheated his brother Esau out of the blessing that was rightfully his. While Esau is out doing what he was supposed to do, getting the, the food the way that, that he was planning to do. And he came back and received what little bit of blessing Isaac had left. But he did not receive the, less, the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob got it and was, was skipping town. The last thing Esau said was, I will kill him. And Jacob believed him. And for 20 years he served Laban. He took Laban's treachery. He took Laban's cheating. He took Laban's... Uh, 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 double-mindedness and, and, and backhandedness and all of the dealings that he had that were crooked. And you know why he did that? The same reason that we allow ourselves to experience those kinds of things in life. He did it because down deep inside, he felt like he deserved it. He was so shameful for his own life that he had lived. He was so condemned about his past. He felt so guilty for the things he had done that down deep inside, he felt like he deserved the mistreatment of Laban. So many times, we allow the devil to beat up on us because down deep inside, we feel like we deserve it. As a matter of fact, that feeling of condemnation, that feeling of shame is the root of so many of our spiritual vices. It's both, it's both the cause of why we feel like we deserve something wrong, and it's the root of why we sometimes feel entitled to something that is not ours. And this, this idea that our past is so shady, that our things we've done, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Or the trouble I've caused. And so when something comes our way, our first thought is that God must be angry at me. I must deserve this. 
I must have this coming to me. So people enter into relationships that are abusive because they feel like they deserve it. People enter into contracts that are one-sided because they feel like they deserve it. They enter into to circumstances in their life and live under such a shadow of condemnation because they down deep inside feel like they've done something somewhere, sometime to somebody and it's going to come back on them. And so, so for 20 years, Jacob just took all that Laban would throw at him. Finally, he said, enough is enough. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want, kind of like the prodigal to some extent, I want to go back home. But he didn't know if he'd be welcome back home. And he certainly didn't know what Esau's reaction would be. Because the last, you know, the last little bit they had discussed didn't go over so well. Jacob had cheated Esau. Esau had every right to hold contempt for Jacob. And so Jacob found out that he was going to meet Esau. He found out that Esau was going to take him up on this opportunity to connect, reconnect. And here's a little tidbit of information. Esau had 400 men with him, a.k.a. an army. And Jacob's thought, you know, he thought this can't be good. You know, I've got, he's got four, I know exactly what this means. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill, he's going to ravage me. He's going to, uh, he's going to pulverize me and, and I've had it coming and this is the way it's going to be. And so Jacob took his family and got them all situated and said, I'm going to go have a little talk with Jesus. Don't you know that's exactly what you need to do regardless of what it is you're facing right now? Go find a quiet place to talk with God. I know that's the solution to your situation right now. Go find a quiet place and talk to God. I don't have to know every detail. I don't have to know everything that you're up against or that you're going through. But to find a place and talk with God is the answer. Even if you don't get an answer to your prayer, the prayer is the answer. Hallelujah. You know, when it's not time for God to reveal to you what he's going to do on your behalf, you're not going to get an answer till it's time. You understand that, right? You're not going to say, okay, God, I'm here. Now show me everything you're going to do. That doesn't mean God's going to show you everything he's going to do. But what is miraculous about prayer is that somehow you walk away from that prayer session with peace as though you received the answer. You walk away from that prayer session with confidence as though you received the answer. What you received was the gentle voice of God speaking to your soul saying, trust me. Lean on me. I have this in the palm of my hand. So Jacob goes out into the night air, the crisp night air, and he's going to have a little talk with God. He's going to kick rocks by the water and, and put his hands in his pockets and just talk to God a little bit. Peaceful little stroll. Nice little balmy evening, just he and the bats and the breeze and God. And all of a sudden, he's not alone. Somewhere from some place jumps this man. This angel, as Hosea called it, God face to face as Jacob described it. And 
confronts him, tackles him. So much for a peaceful stroll. So much for a nice balmy evening, just he and the Lord. And this encounter ensues and it takes place all through the night. It is a severe wrestling match. Ladies and gentlemen, till the breaking of the day. All night long. This isn't a little scuffle that, that, that happens quickly. He is in a fight for his life. And I wonder if for the first several minutes of that fight, what in the world he's thinking. I'm thinking, well, who are you? What, what, what's your deal, man? Why are you, why, why are you jumping on me? And then he realized he's trying to kill me is what he's trying to do. He's just, that's, that's all there is to it. I have to fight so I can stay alive. So Jacob spends the first half of this struggle trying to stay alive. And the more that he fought, the more that he realized there was a purpose in fighting. If you'll keep fighting, you will cross a threshold. And you will come to a point where you sense purpose in your battle. So many battles seem pointless. That's why we often ask the question, why? Because they just seem pointless. Don't quit in that battle or in that fight. Don't submit in the sense that you submit to your flesh's desire to quit. I often say that quit is a four-letter word. It's the one people use when they curse themselves. Don't quit. Fight on. Press into the battle. Press into the struggle. Lay into the struggle. Fall into the struggle. Don't run from it. Don't get bitter about it. Don't wish things could be different. Don't woulda, coulda, shoulda. Fight on. And you'll cross a threshold where you realize, oh, there's purpose to this. I got to hang on. I've got to hold on because there's something deep happening in this battle. I feel like when this battle's over, I'm going to be different. I feel like when this battle's over, I'm not going to be as easily spooked by circumstances. I feel like when this battle is over, I'm not going to be as easily trampled on by, by what life throws my way. And so Jacob fought on. And in fact, the scripture says that there came a point where the, the manifestation, the angel of the Lord, realized he was not prevailing over Jacob. And he said, I know how to prevail. I will touch the hollow of his thigh. This is like midway through the fight. I mean, Jacob's already wore out. He's already got stomach cramps. Anybody ever been at a point in your battle where you thought, I don't think I can take much more? And just about the time you're thinking, I don't think I can take much more, here comes the worst injury of the fight. Just when you think it can't get any worse, well... It just got a lot worse. And he touched the hollow of his thigh. You know, we can get down into the Hebrew of what all that means, but, but, but in reality, folks, you don't even have to get into the Hebrew to know that just sounds like it hurts. Man, he just touched the hollow of his thigh. 
And, and, and the Bible said that, that his thigh was consequently out of joint. And, and then at that point, when he realized that not even injuring, damaging the hollow of his thigh, not even at that point did Jacob give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never. Hallelujah. Keep fighting. Press into that thing. Fight because your family's life depends on it. Fight because your walk with God depends on it. Hallelujah. Fight, glory to God, because there are people watching you who are in their own struggle and need inspiration for their fights, for their battles. Come on, fight through the injury. Fight through the pain. Fight through when your, when your leg hurts, when your thigh hurts, when, when something has been put out of joint. Fight through it. Not everybody that comes into this house with a smile and a song is able to say that all is well in their life or that all is going well in their life. But they walk into this place routinely, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, magnifying the name of the Lord, giving Him praise. What are they doing? They're fighting. They're battling. They're not going to lose. They're not going to lose this battle. Glory to God. And it's a battle with God. It's a struggle with God. You're wrestling the God man. Some people would rather wrestle the devil. Because you know you have authority over the devil. When God challenges you to a wrestling match, whoo, that's, that's tough. You know, that's like when the, the guy who's out in the middle challenging everybody because he's bigger than everybody. I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. And then God steps into the ring and said, all right, how about me? And you're like, oh, well, no, not you. I mean, of course not you. But, but, but it's hard to wrestle with God. But that's the, that's the match that's going to change you. That's the match that's going to change you. And here's the thing about God. God won't give up until the change has come. And so Jacob had some things to overcome. One, he had to overcome his concerns about the past. He had to overcome his identity confusion. He had identity confusion. And they were tied together. All of his problems with the past were tied into his misunderstanding about who he was. You know, and here's what, here's what it was. His parents named him Jacob because of an incident when he was born. He was born as a twin brother to Esau, and Esau came out of the mother's womb first, and Jacob came out, and he was holding on to Esau's heel as if to say, hey, get back in here. I want to get out of here first. I want that blessing. I want that birthright. And I guess Jacob, I imagine Isaac and Rebekah probably found humor in it and said, look, he's a little heel holder. So they named him Jacob. Heel holder, supplanter. If you want to get down into the nitty gritty, cheater, deceiver. That's who he is. See, there are things that can happen early in life that, that the world will forever hang around your neck. There are things that can happen in a person's youth that forever define them in the eyes of those who have been observing them. But that doesn't define you in the Lord's eyes. 
I'm telling you, people have for years lived under the intimidating influence of what other people have said about them because of, of an attitude they had or because of a, of, a, of a particular route they traveled or mistakes they made or foolish decisions they made. And it's just, it hangs all over them. You know what you need? You need a good old-fashioned encounter with the God-man. Because he's going to come to you with all of his strength. And he's going to give you the fight of your life. And if you'll hold on and never let go. If you'll hold on, hallelujah, for dear life. If you'll hold on and say, I'll never quit. I'll never stop. I'm not going to stop until my change comes. I'm not going to stop, hallelujah, until my name is transformed. Until my identity is secure. Hallelujah. So by the time this fight came to a resounding culmination, the angel said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, oh no, you're not going anywhere. Here Jacob is, the hollow of his thigh has been touched. His thigh is out of joint. He's probably... He's probably tore up from the floor up and looking at the angel saying, no, you're not going anywhere because I didn't fight all night long to be left with nothing to show for it. You know, that's the attitude that you have to have. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of this and then come out of this the same way I entered it. If I'm going to go through this, I'm going to come out of it a better person. I refuse to go through this and come out of it bitter. I refuse to go through this and come out of it weak. I refuse to go through this and come out of it resentful or backslidden. If I'm going to go through a struggle or a trial or a fight with, with God... I'm going to come out of it anointed. I'm going to come out of it with wisdom I didn't have before the fight started. I'm going to come out of it with greater strength than I've ever known. Hallelujah. Well, that can't happen for you. Don't you know who you are? You've been a healed holder since you were a kid. I've heard people say that about folks. I've known them all their life, and they're nothing but you just fill in the blanks. God doesn't look at us that way. God says, I don't care how, I've known them longer than you've known them. I've, before I formed them in the womb, I knew them. I'll tell you who they are, and I'll tell them who they are. People need to get over that stuff. You know why? Jesus even had a problem in his own native land performing miracles because they would say, is not this the carpenter's son? We've seen him since he was a little boy. Surely he can't be the great Messiah that has been promised and foretold. But oh, how many miracles you miss out on because you're trying to hold people to, to a place before God got a hold of them. I'm telling you, when God gets a hold of somebody, he changes their life. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you something. If you can't let somebody change, then whether you intend to or not, you are confessing your doubt in the life-changing power of God. It's not, a, you're not, you're not, 
you're confessing more about what you think of God than you are what you think of that person. And you need to have a new encounter with the, the God man. Hallelujah. And so Jacob wrestled till the breaking of the day. I will not let you go until you bless me. And so the angel of the Lord said, what is your name? Now here is, here is the defining moment. What is your name? Are you going to be honest with me about who you are? Are you going to be honest with God about who you are? It's funny to me sometimes to see how we approach God. And we, we actually sometimes will try to kind of, Jesus talked about folks who, 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 who try to approach him with great words, vain repetitions, kind of trying to sound smart even when they pray. Like we're trying to impress God. Like we're trying to convince God of who we are. And so we come in with this presentation of ourselves. Like, like God doesn't know who we actually are. You might as well get real with God. And let him know this is who I am. And this is what I struggle with. And this is what my problem has been. And this is where my need is. And this is what the enemy has told me. And this is what I'm trying to overcome. And these are my thoughts that I wish I could have cleansed and sanctified and covered by the blood of Jesus. And this is the path I've trod in life. And this is the path I want to take. Oh, God, heal me. Oh, God, save me from myself. Oh, God, lift me up. Oh, we got to get real with God. What is thy name? My name is Patriarch Jacob. My name is Bishop, Prophet, Patriarch Jacob. No, my name is, my name is Heel Holder. My name is Supplanter. My name is Deceiver. My name is Cheater. That's who I've been. That's how people know me. That's who I have been. And he said, because you have rightly said your name. Hallelujah. Your name is no longer Jacob. But your name is Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Oh, hallelujah. He needed to overcome his past. He needed to overcome his confusion about who he was. And he needed to, the only way he could do this is an encounter with this manifestation of God. I want to tell you that this is a reflection of the way Jesus lets us encounter him. We must have this encounter with Jesus Christ. The real God man. Whatever you're going through, whatever it is you're facing, whatever from your past is trying to climb back into your present and pose itself and you're not sure what that means and you're not sure how to take it and you think you know and you're worried and you're concerned, you need to have an encounter with God. Specifically the God-man, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. We call him the God-man because 
He is the almighty God who incarnated himself into human flesh and became our mediator. Hallelujah. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man. Oh, hallelujah. The man. Glory. He wasn't a superman. The man. Christ Jesus. Hear what I'm telling you. I think we forget this sometimes. A lot of times we get into this habit of thinking that, you know, we're so used to praying. We're so used to talking to God that we have forgotten how much of a chasm once existed. We have forgotten that, that the only way people used to be able to approach the Holy One of Israel was to cleanse themselves through a, through a, a rigorous process and through this horrific, uh, meticulous uh, process. And they had to, and if they messed up in any way, they were in danger of dying in His presence. And this law, this law that had to be kept that was a reflection of his holiness, that was a reflection of his perfection. And this high priest, not just anybody could do it. It was one man from one family, from one tribe. And he would go in and he had to be spotless and he had to be blemishless and he had to be blameless. And he was just a man, but he had to be as close as the human flesh could be to perfection. And he'd go into the outer court. And then he'd go into the inner court. And then he'd go into the holiest of all places. The holy of holies. I said the holy of holies. You and I don't even understand that kind of holiness. The holy of all holies. And he could only go into that place if he was spotless and blemishless and blameless. Couldn't touch any unclean thing. We've forgotten all that because we just casually, he's as close as the mention of his name to us. We've taken it for granted. We don't even pray. We've taken it for granted. We don't even worship. Right now, right now, the holy word of God is coming forth. And people are already thinking about what they're going to do tomorrow and Friday. And what they're going to do on Saturday. Because we've taken it for granted. We have forgotten the gulf that did exist between God and men. But God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the spirit. God was seen of angels. God was preached unto the Gentiles. God was believed on in the world. And God was received up into glory. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. For in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him. Not outside of him are we complete. We are complete in him. Because he is the head of all principality. He is the head of all powers. Hallelujah. All things, all thrones, all dominions, all kings and princes are subject to him. We have forgotten. We have forgotten. 
that we have a mediator. The only reason that we've been redeemed is because there's a mediator. The only reason we've been cleansed is because there's a mediator. The only reason we've been sanctified is because there's a mediator. The only reason that my sins have been washed away is because there's a mediator. Hallelujah. Between God who is so holy, who is so worthy, who is so precious, who is so infinite, whose wisdom is above all, whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts, whose ways are higher than my ways. He's so holy, nobody can touch him. He's so holy, nobody can stand before him. He's so holy, all sin is judged by his mere presence. He's so holy, all iniquity is judged. He's so holy that none can stand before this holy God. There's one mediator between that God and us who are so unholy, so unworthy, so undeserving, so full of sin, so full of unrighteousness, so full of ungodliness, so full of hypocrisy, so full of evil, so full of wickedness. Can I remind us of who we really are? Can I remind us of who we are in our unregenerated state? Can I remind us of who we are in our unredeemed state? The scripture says, remember the pit from whence you were done we get up on our high horse and we start to consider ourselves high and lofty oh God forbid God forbid and God forgive one God one mediator between a holy God and unholy men the man the God man, the man Christ Jesus, 100% divine, 100% human. Let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, let's not forget that he wasn't wounded for his transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. Let's not forget he wasn't bruised for his iniquity, our, his iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. It was the chastisement of our peace, not his, ours. That was upon him. He wasn't striped to heal his own diseases. He was striped to heal my diseases. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he came to save you. He came to rescue you. He came to deliver you from that cloak of shame that lays so heavy upon your person. He came to deliver you from that satanic condemnation that is ever present ringing in your ears. He came to lift off of you. Hallelujah. That spirit of heaviness that had dragged you so low. He came to lift off of you the heavy burden of your sin and shame. Hallelujah, but you got to encounter him. And it's a struggle. Oh, it's a wrestling match when you encounter this God man. Oh, hallelujah. You know, the book In His Steps was written by over a hundred years ago by Reverend Charles Sheldon. And what he had done, he had he had he had written several short stories, and he was going to deliver them weekly to his congregation. And, and with each short story that he would share, they were fictional stories, but they had a, a principle in them. 
the, the crowds just grew and grew and grew because of the, the power behind what he was declaring. And the, the first story that he told was about a, a pastor who had seen a man who was destitute and in need and who came to the pastor and said, I have need. And he was a man of no means whatsoever. And the pastor just kind of brushed him aside and didn't look after his need and he went on to a Sunday sermon and he preached his Sunday sermon. And the man came into the sanctuary where the people sat and asked if he could share something with the people. This was the first story. And he just stood up and shared his plight. And it was very convicting the fact that nobody had helped the man and so many had had an opportunity. And it was just a few days later in the story that the man died. And the whole congregation was brought to a heart-to-heart understanding of what this is really all about. Helping people. And so the man, the pastor, the next service got up and challenged the congregation to a, to a method that he felt would help them in their Christian walk. And he said, from now on, Whenever you make any decision, before you do anything, whether in business or in family life, I want you to do it with this question. What would Jesus do? That's where WWJD came from. What would Jesus do? And the rest of the short stories that he shared were were fictional accounts of each member of the congregation who faced moral crises and moral dilemmas and 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 questionable practices at work and 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 family crisis where where marriages were at, at stake and 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 where people were struggling and had opportunity to help and and before each encounter the person would ask again what would Jesus do what would Jesus do I'm going to tell you that's the kind of struggle You and I need to have with Jesus Christ. Every decision we make, we need to wrestle with the God man. What would Jesus do in these circumstances? If you feel betrayed or you feel hurt, you need to ask, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus feel? Well, we know what Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross. Hallelujah. And while they nailed him to that cross and put a crown of thorns on his head and put a spear in his side and put stripes on his back, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm telling you, folks, I can't hold a grudge. I can't hold a grudge because every time I try to hold a grudge, I have this encounter with Jesus. Where he said, I refuse to hold a grudge. I forgive them. 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 What did they not know? They knew good and well. They were beating him. They knew good and well. They were stabbing him. They knew good and well. They were nailing him to a tree. They knew good and well. The pain they were inflicting upon him. What did they not know? They knew not that it was the Lord they crucified. The Lord of glory. That's why we forgive. We don't forgive people based on on, on whether or not they deserve to be forgiven. We forgive people based on the fact that they didn't know that when they did it to me, they did it to him. 
See, I don't hold, I can't hold it personal against them. I can't say, well, they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that and they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that and go, go, go take up residence in my resentment cave, my bitterness cave. No, no, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Hallelujah. For they don't realize that when they hurt me, they're hurting you. You have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When you feel like you've loved too much or you feel like you don't need to love anymore, you need to have an encounter with the God man. And you have to wrestle with the kind of love he showed to purchase his bride, the blood that he shed, the wounds that he suffered. Come on, somebody. Hear what I'm telling you tonight. When you feel like when you feel like you need to slap back, you got to encounter with the God man who turned the other cheek. When you feel like you've gone far enough and I'm not going any further, you need to have an encounter with the God man that said when you walked a mile, walk an extra mile. When you feel like I've given enough, I don't need to give anymore. You need to have an encounter with the God man who says when they ask for your cloak, give them your garment also. Hallelujah. See, 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 Jesus looked at them and said, you're, you're saying, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's how you're measuring how you're going to love people. You're going to love them the way you love yourself. But he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. And the new commandment is this. Love one another as I have loved you. I used to think, this was a long time ago. I used to think that in order to tell somebody I love you, that I had to know them good and well. I had to make sure they were the kind of person I could love. I had to make sure they were the kind of person that deserved my love. And, and then an encounter with Jesus changed all of that. And now, I don't know, it didn't matter who it is, I can just say I love you. I love you. You want to know why? Because he loved me. Hallelujah. He loved me. If you're having trouble loving it's because you don't know his love for you. That's why. That's why. That's why. Somewhere it got mixed up. Somewhere you think you're doing him a favor serving him. Maybe you don't think you need much mercy. Maybe you've lived such a good life that you don't need much mercy from God. Maybe you've been so good that his grace is just a, a benefit. And you don't realize that your greatest goodness could never, ever come close to heaven. Your greatest goodness could never take you to heaven. It doesn't matter how good you are, how much good you've done, how much good you plan to do. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are. Your greatest goodness, your greatest discipline will never take you into heaven. The only thing that can bring you into heaven is the grace of God. And when I experience His love for me, oh, then I actually, I can have no hate for anyone I can have no ought against anyone and so I need to wrestle with the God man again when I'm holding a grudge against somebody I need to wrestle with the God man 
I need to wrestle to the breaking of the day. He needs to break something inside of me. He needs to put something out of joint. Hallelujah. Inside of me. So that I can love again the way he loves me. I told somebody, I said, you know what? It's amazing all the things that God will give you as you serve him, as you work for him, as you worship him. And perhaps you've had this experience. I know for me, sometimes I like to go back. And I like to read notes that I've written down. And I like to hear sermons that I've preached that I may want to preach again. And, I, and, I, and I, I'll go back and I'll, I'll kind of refresh my memory on some, some information. And, and, and I, it happens like every time I do it, I, I realize that I was saying stuff I didn't even know I knew. And I'll think, oh my goodness, I've forgotten. I've forgotten so much. That the Lord had given me. Uh, there's so much. There's so much he's taught me about his love. So much he's taught me about his mercy. So much he's taught me about his wisdom. His power. That, that I, I don't even remember it. That's why we have to renew our mind. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Oh Hallelujah. Wrestling with God. Wrestling with Jesus. Hallelujah. Wrestle with that perfect man. When you don't want to forgive, you need to encounter his forgiveness. And he'll wrestle you until you're forgiven. Everybody, before they, before they can ask for forgiveness, you'll be forgiven them. Hallelujah. You, before, when, you, when, you're trying to have, when you're trying to have doubts about, about whether you should serve him or whether you should stay true to him or whether you should stay true to your family or, or whether you should stay true to your service to the Lord, just wrestle with Jesus. Wrestle with Jesus. Wrestle with Jesus and by the time you get done wrestling with that perfect man he will have so clarified your identity because you're not the cheater and the liar that the devil's told you you are you're, that's not who you are you know what ladies and gentlemen that's why everybody's welcome into this church it doesn't matter what sin they've committed. Come on in, in Jesus' name. You come on in. You want to know why? Because that sin they've committed, that's not who they are. And all they need is a good encounter with Jesus. And they'll realize, hey, I'm not Jacob. I'm a prince. I'm a prince who has power with God and with man. Oh, let's stand to our feet right now and lift up our hands unto the Lord. Let's lift up our praise unto God right now. Come on, all over this building. All over this building. All over this building. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Oh, bless his name. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name, bless his name, bless his name. Bless his name, bless his name, bless his name, bless his name. Bless his name, bless his name, bless his name, bless his name, bless his name. Bless his name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want somebody who's in a wrestling match right now. I want you, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. You're in a wrestling match right now. And you don't know. You know what? It was in the middle of the night. Jacob didn't know who that was. He had no idea during the fight that he was wrestling with God. You might be in the dark of night. You can't see who it is you're fighting with. All you know is that your back is hurting. 
your thigh is hurting. All you know is that you're getting weary. All you know is that you're not sure if you can go on. All you know is that, that this fight is serious and it needs to turn out the right way. I'm going to tell you what, if the breaking of the day, if you'll fight to the breaking of the day, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see it was God the whole time. He was making you who you need to be. He was delivering you from who the devil told you you were. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Oh, glory. I feel victory in this house. I feel the victory of God in this house. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, shed every label that this world has put on you right now in the name of Jesus. Shed every label this world has put on you in the name of Jesus. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of Almighty God. Hallelujah. He, hallelujah. He knows his thoughts for you. He knows his thoughts for you. Hallelujah. He knows his thoughts for you. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Somebody fight on. Press on in in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not going out this way. I'm not going out this way. Some of you have loved ones that lost out because they gave up too soon. That's not going to be you. That's not going to be you. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not quitting. No, I'm not quitting. I'm going to fight on. Hallelujah. And let the Lord have his way. I'm going to let the Lord have his way. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to be holy, holy like you. <laughs> yes, Lord. I want to be holy, holy, holy like you. you. Holy Spirit, purify me. Cleanse and make me new. I want to be, be holy, holy, holy like you. I want to be holy.